Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today we're discussing another impressive NFL preseason performance from Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke. The Montreal Alouettes winning a fourth straight game. Alex Singleton bemoaning the play of his former CFL team. The return of Kean Schaefer Baker in Saskatchewan. And make our week 11 picks. But first, the Elks finally got their first win of the 2023 season in a 24 10 victory over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford threw two touchdown passes to Stephen Dunbar Jr., while Edmonton's defense got home for seven sacks. Is this a sign the Elks are finally starting to turn the corner? I mean, Hodge, Ford is out here talking about the playoffs. Is that realistic? I don't think so, especially after the Saskatchewan Rough Riders got their fifth win of the year despite having their third quarterback in that game the Elks have already lost that season series they're four wins back of the Riders but frankly I don't think this team should be worried or focused on the 2023 playoffs this is a team that's already in 2024 territory and I would certainly not say that they've turned the corner but the question was have they started to turn the corner and I think the answer is yes I certainly think one could argue this team still needs a new head coach, some new coordinators, all that. That's a separate issue again for 2024. But is there a base that this team can build off of? Yes. And that base's name is Trey Ford. I mean, he completed 13 of 18 pass attempts for 174 yards, two touchdowns. Not a super sexy stat line, but then you consider the fact that Eugene Lewis dropped what should have been a long touchdown reception. He had another big drop. I believe it was from from Dylan Mitchell down the right sideline coming the other way in that game at Tim Hortons Field. Like this could have easily been a 250, 300 yard game from Trey Ford. And of course, he did what he always does, which is run for, you know, 60 yards as the fastest quarterback in the CFL. And then when you look at that front, you mentioned it, Doug, the seven sacks. You've got Jake Serezna eating Niles Morgan, making plays from the middle linebacker position. This is a team that suddenly has some life. And no, this win did not take place at Commonwealth Stadium. So the 22-game streak streak of home losses still stands in Edmonton. But they have, I think, a very nice chance to snap that streak this upcoming week when they host a struggling Ottawa Red Blacks team. So to me, this team should i mean do what you got to do to motivate yourself if you want to talk about playoffs this year fine go for it is that realistic i don't think it is but you never know they do have ottawa this week and then calgary back to back and the stampeders have been abysmal as of late so i don't think the playoffs are in order here but yes i do think that there are finally some signs of life for the elks after whatever it's been 18 months of cpr we're finally seeing that little beep 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 on that machine that they, 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 they're they tied into at the hospital. And that's good news for fans because Lord knows fans at Edmonton have needed some positive signs for a long time now. Well, I'd, I'd like to point out that you missed a pretty big name when you were going over that defense, and that's their sack leader, A.C. Langer. But maybe are we counting him as a receiver again now since he caught that nice pass last week? You should play offense full time. But – the Elks are a team that is starting to come into their own. It's not turning the corner. I'm not sure there's a corner that even exists in Edmonton right now. It might be a sphere, but they're at least going in circles, and that's because they have a competent quarterback finally at the helm. It remains to be seen if Trey Ford is the long-term answer and can do the stuff that you need from an elite CFL passer. The jury's still out. We need to watch the rest of the season before we can make that determination and see how he progresses. 
But right now, he's not making the big mistakes. He's doing exactly what they need to win. And it has transformed this team because we all know they had some solid pieces prior. They were getting oh so close every single week. And they found ways to lose in large part because their quarterback, Taylor Cornelius, was finding those ways to lose. Trey Ford doesn't do that. As we all saw when he was playing college football down at Waterloo, he finds ways to win, even in situations that aren't ideal from a talent standpoint. He's doing that again in Edmonton, and it remains mind-boggling that it took nine games to put him on the field. Well, I think it was eight games because he started that game against Winnipeg, which they probably should have won. But I feel you, JC. Why on earth it took so long for Chris Jones to start Trey Ford? I'll never understand. I don't care about Taylor Cornelius and his guaranteed money. And, boys, I might go on for a while here because I didn't get a chance to talk about Ford last week. (laughs) Hodge, I know you don't like me going long, so I'll try to curtail it. Yeah, start the clock. I'll I'll go start making lunch. (laughs) (laughs) You do like to eat, so that makes sense. Yeah, man. (laughs) Ford has done a number of things well, but first and foremost, it's protecting the football. And I think second, most importantly, is infusing some energy into this offense. Taylor Cornelius just doesn't have that ick factor. And I think Trey Ford has shown that ability. I agree with JC. The jury is still out on him long term, but he is by far the Elks best option. And full credit to Jarius Jackson for quickly tailoring this offense to Trey Ford's skill sets. Now, I don't necessarily want to see too many more called inside runs, quarterback draws or traps for Trey Ford, because that's how we got hurt last year against Calgary and sort of derailed this whole thing and actually got the Elks into the mess that they're in with Taylor Cornelius right now. But I digress. Let's talk about the present and the future. I don't want a guy that's that small, even though he is pretty yoked up, to be running inside the tackles too often. I think you really got to pick your spots with it. Jackson has done a decent job of that. And they haven't asked Ford to go out there and throw the ball 50 times. They've had some stellar play from their defense, as you two highlighted. The offensive line, I think, is playing better, in part to Ford and his escapability. And when he's taken shots down the field, he has thrown some accurate footballs. And if Geno Lewis and Dylan Mitchell would have come up with some of those balls in recent weeks... Ford's stat line would look even better. So he has been very great to start his run here as quarterback one. And I agree with Hodge here. Even though you want to look at your schedule ahead and think that, yeah, if you beat Ottawa and Calgary back-to-back, then all of a sudden you could be in that playoff conversation. And I think that is actually possible to get those wins. But you need to focus on one game at a time and also evaluate Ford for the future. So, I like the confidence, the energy coming from Ford, and I think that could bode well for the Elks franchise in 2023 and even beyond. Well, and I should say, you only need to get three more wins to at least cross over because at the moment, the Ticats and the Red Blacks are in the toilet. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. And I had a tweet, not go like viral, but I suppose it went viral by CFL Twitter standpoint where I I openly asked the question of why was Trey Ford not playing earlier? And this is a question I've been asked on radio. And I think my answer is simply this. At any point this season, has anybody looked at Chris Jones on the sideline and thought to themselves, this is a man who knows exactly what he's doing? The answer, at least to me, is no. He's guessing and second guessing. And fortunately, after a whole bunch of wrong guesses, he has found his way to some right guesses. And when when that team has worked, and by that team, I mean Edmonton under the leadership of Chris Jones, or even Saskatchewan under the leadership of Chris Jones, rough season in 2016, decent seasons in 17 and 18, the formula there has been the offense treads water and scores opportunistic touchdowns while the defense goes in, smothers the opposition, forces a bunch of turnovers and either scores themselves or gives the offense great field position. And that is 100% how the Elks were able to go into Hamilton and beat the Ticats by 14 points. Easier to do against a rookie quarterback than some more established quarterbacks in the league. But guess what? You've got another rookie quarterback this week in Dustin Crum, who has certainly not looked bad for Ottawa, but has been unable to find that magic at least the last week or two that he had earlier on in the season when he had the two crumb back victories 
over Winnipeg and over Calgary in back-to-back weeks. So remains to be seen. But yes, I think we're seeing signs of life here from the Edmonton Elks. And again, the fans at Edmonton deserve that. So we're thrilled for those folks. Some very winnable gains coming up on the schedule too. It should be no good. Not just that Ottawa game, but you got the the Labor Day back-to-back against Calgary. And oh boy, that looks like they have some offensive issues there. They haven't scored a touchdown in three weeks. So if that doesn't change pretty quick for the Stampeders, those are games that Edmonton can steal. And now all of a sudden then, if you've beat the Stampeders twice and you've beat Ottawa, you are very much right back in the playoff hunt. Now, that's a long way away still, but that's what's coming down the pipe. Just one quick note, Hodge, before you move on here. Chris Jones, I think, does know defense. I don't think he's necessarily guessing there. And he's been hailed somewhat universally as this great talent-finding dude that can go out there and unearth gems, which he's done in large part. But his issue has been at quarterback. And it was Ed Hervey that brought Michael Riley to Edmonton, who Jones won his lone championship with as a head coach. I know he's won Grey Cups as a coordinator with a bunch of different teams in this league, Jones that is, but it was Michael Riley. So you have to have a franchise quarterback, and when one guy is sitting right in front of you that you picked in the first round that has all the tools, I just can't understand why. That was his main issue in Saskatchewan and why I felt like the Rough Riders were never a real contender because they didn't have a quarterback. He kind of wanted to usher faster than probably a lot of people thought was the end of Darian Durant's career, and then he was bouncing around with a bunch of guys. And to his credit... He gave Brandon Bridge, another Canadian quarterback, an opportunity, and he's doing the same thing with Ford here, but it's a much different circumstance. So I think you're right when you say he's guessing with respect to quarterbacks. Yeah, that's more more how I meant it. Not not that he's guessing on defensive schemes. He's been guessing on personnel in his role of GM, which I would be comfortable saying right now the jury is in. Chris Jones is not worthy of being a CFL general manager. He has a fantastic defensive mind. He's, I think, a very good head coach. He is not a good GM. There's a reason why he has had by far his most success in this league while working with the GM. So that is the that is the avenue through which I believe he has been guessing. Not not on the defensive schemes, because as we saw, his defense played very well, made life pretty miserable for Taylor Powell in that game. Yeah, he he loves to experiment with elite athletes and put them in different positions and So the question I have, and I haven't spoken to Chris Jones about this, this is pure speculation, is did he really see Trey Ford as a quarterback long term? And I think he looked at a guy who runs 4-4, and he said, yeah, he can play quarterback. He's competent there. But, oh, I could do so much more with him elsewhere. I could stick him at other spots and do that. And perhaps the delay for putting him on the field is because he knows that if he wants to force Ford into another spot to make him relinquish that quarterback duty and say, okay, I'll go play receiver or I'll go play DB for you, whatever you ask, he can't have any meaningful success at quarterback. So every time he goes out there and has these games like he's had the last couple weeks, that that goal that Chris Jones probably had in mind when he drafted a guy who runs a 4-4 gets pushed further and further back to a point where I think it's probably an impossibility. So I wonder if this at the start of the year was a little bit of strong arming by Chris Jones to go, well, Hey, you're just not good enough at quarterback, but look at all the other things I could do with you down the line. If you would just let me, because we know that's what Chris Jones has done with other athletes across his team to varying degrees of success or failure. True, but he did let Trey Ford start like week four last year. So I, I think, I, mean, I think he, I think he have, was a quarterback. They, there was he didn't no have real many other options. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah that, that, that's a fair point. But again, we're back to the guessing game of Chris Jones, and he's he's starting to guess the right answers with his personnel, which is good. Nathan Rourke is coming off a strong NFL preseason performance for the second straight week. He completed ten of twelve pass attempts. That's eighty three percent. For 121 yards in the Jaguars' 25-7 win over Detroit and also carried the ball six times for 14 yards. Jacksonville head coach Doug Peterson made it clear that Rourke cannot win the number two job behind Trevor Lawrence, though he still seemed impressed by what the former CFL star accomplished on the field. 
What did you make of the performance from the Canadian QB? Well, once again, Rourke looked exactly like the same player we saw last year with the BC Lions. Now that he's wearing a Jacksonville Jaguars uniform, he was incredibly efficient, incredibly accurate, and he showed flashes of incredible playmaking ability, which, of course, he did in the first preseason game to viral results, but he made some very nice plays in this game as well, albeit without a touchdown to show for it, but he led several touchdown drives that were finished off by running backs, and and the Jaguars have looked remarkably strong with him at the helm. The big takeaway for me is the the reliance of coaches on veteran players because, oh my gosh, if you've watched C.J. Beathard and Nathan Rourke the last two weeks, and this is no disrespect to C.J. Beathard, who has done fine, and we all know what he's capable of in the NFL, which, to be frank, is not a whole ton. But are you really are you really saying that C.J. Beathard is the better player right now? I don't believe that for a single second, but the Jags are going to roll with him as the number two and try and develop work as the three because coaches are absolutely allergic to risk, especially at the quarterback position. And although Work's roster spot is pretty much secure, I think this highlights just how difficult it is for players on the fringes and players coming from the CFL to break into NFL rosters, even when they very clearly earn a job or earn a job higher than the one they will receive. I don't think it's necessarily these NFL teams being risk averse. I think it's them trying to protect their own backsides with the investments they've made, be it in free agency or the draft capital, especially at the quarterback position. Like anybody out there who has watched these two preseason games, and yes, they are preseason games, but this is how Nathan Rourke is going to be evaluated by NFL teams and CJ Beathard by the Jaguars as well. Anybody out there, can tell that Rourke is a better quarterback. And you have Doug Peterson out here talking about how he likes Beathard's athletic ability. And I'm going, bro, did you (laughs) not watch that play on loop in Dallas? And you're out here talking about Beathard's... Like, Beathard has next to no athletic ability, okay? He is a decent, at best, pocket passer. And Nathan Rourke is way better than him. This is a question that I would love to ask Doug Peterson. He won't answer it truthfully, but if Trevor Lawrence happened, and I don't want this to actually take place, but suffered an injury, who would you want starting for the rest of the season for your team if Lawrence was out for the season? Because the answer that I think a lot of us would say, and even a lot of people in the NFL, because I don't want to be biased with this, would be Rourke, because he is the quarterback out of these two that is the most like Trevor Lawrence, can clearly move around, can run with the football, can take off, but can make some absolutely dynamic plays. So the issue here is the NFL, which hails itself as the best and most competitive league in the world, doesn't actually want competition because it might bring in some controversy, right? There would be people asking questions in Jacksonville saying, well, why did you sign C.J. Beathard to a contract extension worth – millions of dollars if you really thought this Nathan Rourke kid was going to be good like just let the tape speak for itself and this goes all the way back to why I believe and based on his comments as well I think it's right believe I Mitchell didn't want to go down to the NFL because he knew not only would he have to play far and above the quarterbacks he was competing against he would go and have to deal with all these BS politics of being a CFL guy in the NFL which is absolutely bogus. And I'll look at, it's not the same comparison, but I think it's similar. The San Francisco 49ers, right? They traded up to draft Trey Lance, used a whole bunch of draft capital. He gets hurt. All of a sudden, Brock Purdy, who was at the back end of the draft, I think he might have even been a Mr. Irrelevant. Now, he's their starting quarterback over Lance. Like, at least they allowed that talent in Purdy's run last year to give him an opportunity. So it's much different because we're not talking about the starting quarterback, but it's an example that I think is warranted here 
because you have the tape from Rourke dominating in the CFL. Beathard has never dominated at any level of football, maybe above high school. Okay, let's be honest. And right now, Rourke is a better quarterback. So I hope that if the Jaguars do end up keeping him on the 53-man active roster, which they're probably going to have to do unless they want to risk losing him on on waivers, that they realize this throughout the season or put him on waivers, let another team pick him up. I'm sure they'll be happy to install him and let him earn that backup role. There's multiple other NFL teams out there that would be happy to take Rourke. By the way, Brock Purdy mentioned former Winnipeg Blue Bombers negotiation list quarterback, Brock Purdy. He would have been so good in the CFL. Yeah, he would have been very good in the CFL. But uh, for the reasons you mentioned, Doug, I don't think he's coming. For those who don't know, C.J. Beathard signed a two-year contract extension this past offseason with the Jaguars that made him the 51st highest paid quarterback in the NFL, getting $4.5 million over the next two years, $1 million signing bonus prorated over the two years, plus a million dollars of guaranteed salary. So he's got essentially half of his deal, a little under half guaranteed. And to me, this ties into a new CFL conversation that is, I think should be being had right now because of the recent change with the CBA, allowing teams to give players guaranteed money in the CFL and the politics that sometimes go along with that. For instance, the first two players in the CFL, I believe it's CFL history, to receive guaranteed money on their contracts, not in the form of a signing bonus, but in the form of this new salary guaranteement allotment that's been provided, are Taylor Cornelius and Jake Mayer. Can you think of two players in the CFL who have been given longer leashes despite mediocre or even poor play the last year than Taylor Cornelius and Jake Mayer, who got these guaranteed deals, partially guaranteed deals, in the middle of last season? I can't, right? Taylor Cornelius's leash was way too long this season. We've already talked about it. And Jake Mayer, who hasn't thrown a touchdown pass in his last four starts, is still apparently the undisputed guy in Calgary, despite having eight touchdowns to 12 picks on the year and playing the worst football of his professional career. And this is a good illustration of how this isn't even necessarily just an NFL issue. This is a pro sports issue when executives make decisions to give players big contracts with guarantees and those players don't live up to that. It's often the case or they invest a high draft pick in a player that they then realize, okay, this guy should not have been a high high draft pick for one reason or the other. Maybe the talent's just not there. Maybe the conditioning's just not there. Maybe the guy is really struggling off the field with things like mental health or, or things like substance issues and their focus isn't really truly on the game of football, basketball, whatever, right? When executives make those decisions, they don't want the ax to fall on them. They want to hide behind other people and potentially even make decisions that they know aren't really in the best interest of the club, provided that those decisions will be blamed on others and not themselves. So I think that that is the situation in Jacksonville right now. But you mentioned it, Dunk. Doug Peterson is not going to come out and say that Nathan Rourke is actually the team's number two because that's not politically correct given the way that, that Jacksonville has structured their salaries. If and when Trevor Lawrence goes down, I would not at all be surprised to either see Nathan Rourke in the game or see C.J. Beathard in the game, but on the world's shortest leash because they know who the better option truly is. Absolutely. I think the... Brock Purdy comparison that Dunk made is apt because that's the path to the field for Nathan Rourke, right? Is a number of injuries in Jacksonville or poor performance from Beathard in the event of a Lawrence injury. Obviously, nobody wants to see that happen because Trevor Lawrence is a fantastic quarterback who is much better on the field than off of it, but it could happen, right? It's not impossible We've seen teams have injury problems like that in the past. I've said it. A number of other people have said it. But if you open the door for Nathan Rourke, just a crack, just a crack, he's never shutting it again. If he gets on the field, it's going to be awfully hard to take him off of it. Let's consider this other point too, fellas. C.J. Beathard has been in this offense way longer 
than Nathan Rourke. And it's Rourke who looks like he's in more command of this offense, right? Rourke only got into this offense in the spring. C.J. Beathard has been in it for years, multiple years now. And it's very clear that, yes, they're going against lower caliber talent on defense, but Rourke is also playing with lower caliber talent on offense, that it doesn't matter who you put on the field with Nathan Rourke, that he instantly elevates them. The offensive line plays better. The receivers have more catchable passes. There's more energy because they know that Rourke's going to keep the play alive. So any way you break it down, Rourke has been better than Beathard. And in the long run, I think the three of us here and a lot of other people in Canada and even in the NFL are going to be proven right. And the Jaguars don't want to keep Nathan Rourke. And you guys laid out his path to playing time or injuries to Trevor Lawrence and CJ Beathard either getting hurt or playing poorly which is not out of the realm of possibility. We're not wishing anything on Lawrence, but there are other teams out there that don't have as good a backup quarterbacks as Nathan Rourke has shown this preseason. So perhaps another team comes and plucks him away via trade to get him if they feel like they're having issues with the quarterback position if their franchise pivot went down. So I think there are other ways for that to happen, but the Jaguars internally have to understand how good Rourke has been. Doug Peterson being a former backup quarterback himself to Brett Favre has got to understand that this guy is valuable to your franchise, potentially far and above Beathard. Got a quick story before we go on. In 2015, Mm. the Bombers signed Ivan Brown, who was like a mid-round Canadian D-lineman out of Saskatchewan, and fans hated him. And the reason they hated him was because the team allowed him to wear number 97, which was, of course, Doug Brown's number. And not only was he wearing Doug Brown's number, I believe the first person to wear it since Doug Brown retired, obviously beloved, one of the all-time greats of the franchise. But his last name was Brown. He was wearing 97 Brown on the field. And it wasn't his fault that anybody hated him. It wasn't his decision. He just showed up to camp and played a year whatever. And I feel like the same thing is happening right now with poor C.J. Beathard and the entire country of Canada. It's not his fault. He's done nothing wrong. C.J. Beathard has done absolutely nothing to anybody. He's probably a lovely, lovely gentleman, and the entire country hates him because he is right now the only thing stepping in the way of Nathan Rourke being one play away from playing meaningful football in the NFL. So thoughts to C.J. Beathard's family and friends, On behalf of Canada, we apologize for the hate he is receiving. It is not warranted. Canada just really loves Nathan Rourke. No, it's warranted. Just play better, Beathard, okay? But also, yeah, you could you could play a little better. You've been fine, but yeah, if you want it if you want the job, you just gotta play a little better. Yes, agreed. My question is, are we sure they didn't just reuse Doug Brown's jersey? They might have. That sounds like a CFL story. Wade Wade Miller's been known to pinch penny, pinch pennies here and there, and that was that. that, Those 2015, those were dark days. Dark days in Winnipeg, hundred percent. The Montreal Alouettes have quietly won four straight games, including including their last two outings with Caleb Evans at quarterback. The Owls rank fourth in offensive points per game fifth in net offense per game, and third in opponent net offense per game. Are Montreal a serious candidate to push the Argos for first place in the East Division? Not yet until I see it, because I think the teams that the Owls have beaten are not among the groups that we would consider contenders right now. And in my opinion, it's the Toronto Argonauts, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at the top tier. The Lions were there, but that loss to the Rough Riders has given me pause to put them in that group. I think they're probably in a tier of their own right now. And then it's kind of everybody else, which is great for the league in the way of parity. But I'm not ready to put the Alouettes in the contenders group yet. I think if Cody Fajardo's healthy, that pushes them closer. But I want to see how they do when they go against the Argonauts and if they take on the BC Lions and can compete and beat the Lions at home or away even so not yet but I think the one thing that's very clear in Montreal is Sean Lemon has energized that defense North Thorpe has changed his entire defense to focus around Sean Lemon North North Thorpe is used to gosh I wish I could say his name properly Thorpe is used to playing a 34 and mixing up his linebackers and fronts and everything but he's changed to a 4-3 
with Lemon on the end to allow his pass rush abilities to affect opposing quarterbacks. And Lemon has done that. He's closing in on 100 sacks. I think he's got four now on the season. So that puts him four away from 100 for his career. He'd be only the 13th player ever to do it. And then you got to look at what they're doing on offense. Credit Jason Moss for committing to running the football. And Caleb Evans has done a pretty good job of stepping in for Cody Fajardo. I've been pleasantly surprised by Caleb Evans. Admittedly, after last season, I was basically done watching him as a quarterback. I was like, this guy is not it. He's athletic, which is great, but I don't particularly want to see him under center again. Leading the team to to -to back-to-back wins with, with three touchdown passes in those games. Yeah, he's got three picks. Got to clean that up. But he has moved the ball more efficiently and put points on the board more efficiently than I thought he could. So credit to Caleb Evans there. To me, this comes down to opposition, and I think this is a really interesting time to talk about the Alouettes because this is a club, started the season 2-0, then they lost three straight games to Winnipeg, BC, and Toronto. Since then, they have won four straight games, not against those teams. They are 6-0 against teams not named the Blue Bombers, Lions, and Argos, and they are 0-3 against those same top three teams. Well, guess what, boys, who their next four opponents are in order They've got Winnipeg this week on Thursday. We'll talk about that game in a second. Then they've got BC and Toronto back-to-back. The club, in my view, if they're serious about contesting that first-place spot, at worst has to go 2-2 two and two over this upcoming stretch against very tough opponents. The Alouettes did actually win at IG Field last season in a very shocking overtime victory come from behind Mark Leggio remembers that game for all the wrong reasons struggled late that as stopped Winnipeg's the undefeated kicker. run too it did stop the Winnipeg's home undefeated run there this is a team that you know has impressed me to be honest it they, they have very consistently beaten what I would call second or even third tier opponents in the CFL separating themselves from the pack as that top team outside of the top three Now they have a chance over the next month to prove that they belong with the top three. And I'm excited to see if they could do it because they've been a really fun team to watch despite injuries to guys like Greg Ellingson, who they brought in to provide some firepower. Tyson Philpott missed a bunch of time this year. Austin Mack has been sensational. Walter Fletcher was great when he got into a game in place of an injured William Stanback. And Tyler Sneed is apparently like the next great red zone threat in the CFL. He does nothing until they're inside the 25-yard line, and then he catches everything. So I'm excited to see what they do over the next month. I tend to agree with both of you that the Alouettes are in a tier unto themselves, that there are the top three teams in the league. Uh, Winnipeg and Toronto and BC and then there's the Alouettes and then there's everybody else but I will play a little bit of devil's advocate here and suggest that there is a path for the Alouettes to overtake the Argos and to contest that first place in the East Division and to me that has more to do with the Argos than it does the Alouettes of course Montreal's only one game back right now of Toronto Toronto has a game in hand, but I think it needs to be noted. Toronto has already had all three of their bye weeks up to this stage in the season. They had a bizarre schedule, so they have to play the next 10 consecutive weeks without a break. Now, Montreal doesn't have a much better schedule. They only have one bye week, I think, in week 20. But if they can keep it close, they may end up being the more rested team or the healthier team when it comes to the final week of the season, because Toronto is going to go on this long stretch of continuous play, which isn't going to be ideal for that franchise. So Montreal has the talent. They're much better with Cody Fajardo at quarterback, despite the success that Caleb Evans has had in the last two games. They're better with Sean Lemon on defense, which he wasn't on that team when they played the Toronto Argonauts. And I think they have some horses. And really, it's a credit to Danny Machocha and the rest of the Alouette's scouting staff. Because remember how we were talking about this team in the offseason. They had no shot. They were in disarray after the ownership situation, unable to retain their top three agents, unable to go and grab the best guys 
on the market. Well, they've scraped together an incredibly competitive team and have a number of true rookies playing incredibly impactful positions. Austin Mack, of course, has NFL experience, so he's not going to be rookie of the year candidate, but he is a first-year CFLer. Tyler Sneed that you mentioned. Courtney Davis is another starting receiver that is a rookie. They've got a couple on defense with guys like KB and Ento starting at corner and, and uh, Ky- uh, Kyrell Rogers as well at the other corner. So they've got impact guys that Danny Machocha and his staff have went out and found this offseason. So even if they don't surpass the Argonauts, I think it's a tremendous accomplishment what this team has done. If I'm Danny Machocha, I'm sitting back watching Gino Lewis drop passes with the Edmonton Elks. Yeah, he's getting paid $320,000 and laughing because Lewis, yeah, he took the money and went west, but is on a way worse team. And if Lewis was on the Alouettes, who knows how that would have changed the focus, at least, of this offense. And it's really an interesting take, JC. It's almost like you're reading my mind because I wanted to bring up Lewis here and you kind of rolled right into it that – in the offseason, you know, people freak out so much. And it was kind of similar to, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen, they're going to go on a Grey Cup run, but remember when the Toronto Argonauts didn't have a head coach or general manager until like March? And everybody was like, well, how are they going to sign free agents? And how are they going to get people there and all this stuff? Well, this shows you that if you have, I guess, plan B to your plan A, and it's staff that can go out and is confident in themselves, and I think especially the coaching staff to coach these guys up, I think that's what's missing here is Moss and Thorpe, especially on offense and defense, but this coaching staff overall has really coached this unit up quickly that you can get it done, that you can compete, that you can be in what we're calling this third tier all on your own in the CFL with an arrow pointing upwards to compete with the top team in the league. So if I'm a chocha, I would be sitting there laughing and saying, I am so happy we didn't pay Gino Lewis $320,000 and that we held strong at whatever their number was. I think it was around $300,000, and it ended up working pretty good. They got Pierre Carl Pelado, who's probably pretty happy with how the team's performing, performing the TV ratings. And I maybe don't want to say this so PKP can hear it because he doesn't like the competition, but on RDS are up. They have had some very encouraging numbers in and around a quarter million people watching their games on RDS, the French language affiliate of TSN. That's not to mention the English language games. Like the Alouettes are up there in terms of TV ratings when you add in RDS this season, in terms of the big TV ratings that have been over 700,000. So all things seem to be looking up for Montreal. And I do agree with what Hodge said. They are an entertaining team, even though if we don't know all the names that are making impactful plays. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are eight and a half point favorites over the aforementioned Alouettes on Thursday night. Zach Claros seems ready to return from a neck injury that held him out of last week's win over Calgary. While it remains unclear if Cody Fajardo will play for the Owls after sitting out the past two games due to a shoulder injury. Who do you have in this game, Hodge? Well, I'm going to have my cake and eat it too in this one. I did it last week with Fajardo where I took the Red Blacks if he did not play. And I took the Red Black or the Alouettes if he did play. I'm going to take Winnipeg to win this game no matter what. I think Zach Kolaris is going to play in this game. I think he was held it last week for precautionary reasons. I believe that Winnipeg is going to be very motivated after playing what was ultimately a very poor game in Calgary. Calgary did not play well either. Winnipeg was still lucky to win that contest at McMahon Stadium. Very sloppy effort, really on all three sides. The defense, I mean didn't break when when it had to but ultimately this team is much much better than what they put on the field so I'm taking the Bombers to win no matter what but if Fajardo plays I'm taking the Alouettes to cover what is a relatively widespread if he does not play I think Winnipeg is going to win this thing by double digits I think they're motivated I think the defense is going to generate some takeaways and I think that this one could get out of hand if Cody Fajardo is not there for the Alouettes, who are coming, by the way, off of a short week. So give me the Winnipeg Blue Bombers no matter what. Alouettes to cover if Fajardo plays. Bombers to cover a widespread if it's Caleb Evans. We are of one mind, Hodge, because I'm in exactly the same boat as you. I think the Bombers win this no matter what, but I like the Alouettes to cover if Fajardo is under center, which I suspect he will be. This week for me with Winnipeg, they've been far more inconsistent 
than they have been in years past. They've laid some real duds out there on the field, including last week, although they escaped through it. But every time they've laid one, Mike O'Shea has rallied his team, that veteran team, and they've come out fired up the following week. I think they do that against the Alouettes, largely undercutting our whole previous segment in which we praised Montreal. They're going to lose this week. I think the Bombers win and cover regardless if Cody Fajardo plays or not. And part of that is because it's a bounce back week for Winnipeg. But I think the other part of it is the Blue Bombers knowing they can create some separation here with the BC Lions atop the West Division after their loss in Week 11 to the Rough Riders. So I really like this spot for Winnipeg. I think Montreal can hang and compete a little bit, but that game earlier in the season in Montreal with the rain, I thought was a bit of an equalizer to keep Montreal maybe closer than some people expected. So I like the Bombers put it on them big time. The Toronto Argonauts are nine and a half point favorites versus the Calgary Stampeders on Friday. The Stamps won a recent meeting between the two teams, though Chad Kelly was unable to play most of the game due to an ankle injury. Can the Argos exact revenge for the only loss they've suffered all year? Yeah, I think they can. I think the only question in this one is if the Argonauts cover the spread here. And part of that is because I think Calgary's going to have a bounce back effort, but I don't necessarily have confidence in that because Jake Mayer has been consistently poor, I would say, this season. He has more interceptions than touchdowns, and I don't really love them coming into Toronto against a rested Argonauts team that, yes, they do have 10 straight games in front of them, but is coming off a bye and I think are playing at an elite level whenever Chad Kelly is on the field. So, It seems crazy, and it's back-to-back games for me because I'm taking the Bombers to win and cover with an almost double-digit spread. But I'm all right with doing it with the Argonauts because I just don't see how Jake Mayer has consistent success to keep this game close at BMO Field. Coming off of a bye, Ryan Dinwiddie is going to cook up some special stuff to beat his former colleagues who are all the way through the Calgary Stampeders organization. These two teams know each other very well. And though typically I would say that leads to a close game, I think that coming off the bye with the extra motivation for the loss, I think the Argos can get it done here. Jake Mayer is going to throw at least one pick in this game. I will take the Argos to win and cover the widespread at BMO Field. I really will. There are only two relevant questions when talking about this game. Number one, will Cameron Dukes see any significant action? God, <laughs> God I hope not. Number two, how many weeks has it been since Jake Mayer threw a touchdown? Four. Come on now, guys. What are we even talking about here? This is not going to be like the upset where Kelly went down. He's going to sling it around the park. Toronto or a Mayor didn't even score a touchdown in that upset win. I don't think he has any juice to do it this week. Toronto wins it going away. By the way, this ties into our earlier segment where we talked about how the Alouettes are going to have a heck of a time finding their way to first place in the East Division. There's actually one very easy path we did not talk about, which is Chad Kelly, heaven forbid, suffering a serious injury. If that happens, all bets are off. Heck, Edmonton could finish first in the East Division if Chad Kelly misses heavy time. The BC Lions are 10-point favorites against the visiting Hamilton Tiger Cats on Saturday night, where they look to bounce back after being upset by the Riders at Mosaic Stadium in Regina. Is this an easy win for the Leos? There's no such thing as an easy win in pro football, but this might be as close as it gets because the Lions are going to be fired up after they came out sort of lackadaisical against the Riders last week, got punched in the mouth, tried to claw their way back. Vernon Adams Jr. throws for 455 yards on one leg, but they still can't make the comeback. I think they're going to be ready to go. Vernon Adams Jr., I don't think his injury was serious, and he'll be healthy for this game. And the Hamilton Tiger Cats don't really have a quarterback. Taylor Powell is meh. So I don't trust them to beat a strong BC Lions defense. I think the Lions win and cover this widespread like many of the other top teams this week. 
Tommy Condell was really the issue in Hamilton, man, that is so bogus because this team is awful. I think rightfully so. The Tiger Cats are at the bottom of our three down nation power rankings. And I thought the photo on that particular piece of content was so perfect. Steinauer hands on top of his head, just looking completely befuddled at what's going on with his team. And I hate to do it for a third straight game because it's a massive spread, but the Tigers have been terrible when they've traveled to the West Coast. So I give Hamilton no shot. I don't care who's at quarterback, even if Bo Levi Mitchell's walking through that door. The Lions are going to feast on them Tiger Cats and cover a massive line. I've also got the BC Lions to win and cover in this game. Call it a revenge game. Call it what you want. But this is a perfect storm, in my view, for a blowout win for BC. All right. I'm a little nervous here, boys, because when we agree on everything, something usually tends to happen that goes the other way. We'll see how it goes with the first three games on our slate. The last one of the week, the Edmonton Elks are underdogs at home when they'll host the Ottawa Red Blacks this week, where they have a chance to snap a 22-game home losing streak one week after getting their first victory, of course, on the road in 2023. Can the Elks do the unthinkable and win a second straight game and actually win a game at home? I'm going to go with the Red Blacks here, and that's not because I don't think the Elks have taken positive steps. I do. But this game is essentially a pick 'em. The Red Blacks have not been getting blown out. Their losses have been very close. They have lost four straight games. All of them, outside of the one game in Toronto, where they actually played very well, have been close games. I think that the Red Blacks are going to win this game. I do think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be competitive. My biggest question is, will Dustin Crum and Trey Ford combine for more passing yards or more rushing yards because those two guys know how to move the rock with their legs. But I've got the Red Blacks to win this game and cover the spread. I would be happy to take Ottawa up to plus three, but I also wouldn't be shocked for the reasons we talked about off the top of the show if Edmonton found a way to do the unthinkable and win two in a row. Somebody's got to agree, disagree at some point in this podcast so i guess i'll be the stupid dude to do it and i'll pick the edmonton elks <laughs> to win at home which i'm going to deeply regret i'm sure but trey ford is much better at protecting the football than dustin crumb has shown and he's been much better at not taking stupid sacks let's put it that way I think he's going to be the better of the two young quarterbacks in this game. I think he's also going to be the better of the two quarterbacks running the football as well because Dustin Crum runs a 4-7. Trey Ford runs a 4-4, and that Ottawa defense is also pretty vulnerable to him through the air. I think Edmonton does the impossible at Commonwealth this week. JC, I don't think you're dumb or stupid or whatever you said. I actually think you're a very bright, smart young man. And I'm going to agree with you. I think the Elks stopped the streak. Trey Ford put out your heck Crichton stiff arm because it's about to be over. They should have done it a couple weeks ago against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. That's part of the reason I'm so confident in this year. I'm not even worried about looking stupid, but if it happens, hey, whatever. I think the Elks win this game and finally... Finally, finally, and all this talk about this infamous home losing streak. And then maybe Chris Jones can be warranted in saying that he doesn't want to talk about it anymore, but it's going to be talked about forever, whether he likes it or not. It's now time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. We're a day early with this one, boys, but it's too good not to share. On this day in 2008, the Toronto Argonauts traded Michael Bishop to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Argos deemed Bishop expendable because Kerry Joseph, who was acquired via trade from the Riders five months earlier, had won the team's starting job. Bishop appeared in 10 games with Saskatchewan and even started the West semifinal, though he threw three interceptions at a 33-12 loss to the BC Lions. The Riders anointed Darian Durant as their starter the following season, with Bishop signing with the Blue Bombers after Stefan LaFour struggled to make an impact as the starter in Winnipeg. I'm curious, boys. What is your biggest Michael Bishop memory? JC, we'll start with you. Just the fact that he had arguably one of the best arms in CFL history, just in terms of, of strength 
and and talent there. Now, was he one of the greatest quarterbacks in CFL history? No, but that guy could sling it. He was a legit player in college at what was it, Kansas State? Uh, came up here with a lot of cred from that and and had a very solid career. Michael Bishop and his arm strength stories are legendary. Like people will tell you that he could throw 80 yards from his knees, boys. This dude was one of the guys that got me really interested as a kid in CFL football. And JC hit the nail on the head there. When he was at Kansas State University, he was a Heisman Trophy candidate, was really good for the Wildcats, came up here to the CFL. And even though he did make admittedly a lot of boneheaded throws, there would be throws that you would be picking your mouth up off the floor and just be like, how did this dude do that? If it could have completely came together for him, between the ears in terms of understanding the timing of football and all the scheme stuff that go behind it. This guy could have been a CFL or an NFL superstar. Like he could have been one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. He did have one of the greatest arms ever. That's not even to be disputed on both sides of the border. And he did have a pretty good amount of CFL success. That dude was so fun to watch back in the day in the CFL. When he's in the college football hall of fame now, for good reason. Uh, admittedly, yeah, didn't have that type of success at the pro level, but still a lot of fun to watch Michael Bishop. His games were never boring, right? He would throw for four touchdowns or four picks, and there was very little <laughs> in the middle. Always entertaining with Michael Bishop. I think he, he might have actually think- done that during a Labor Day Classic. Yeah, he <laughs> might have. Absolutely. He was might have he done it for Winnipeg, the- too. <laughs> yeah. Was he not one of the guys who... Uh, famously hit the hanging scoreboard in McMahon Stadium, the one that the was speaker. So high oh yeah, the speaker. The, yeah, the yeah. speaker. Yeah, he he was like the only quarterback to ever get the ball all the way up there. Famously, That's insane, bro. That is way up there above the field for the uninitiated. Let's go to the three minute drill, boys. In a column you wrote, Hodge, after tracking data through the first half of the season, and kudos to you for doing this. You are so organized. I can't understand how you do it sometimes, but you do it. The Ottawa Red Blacks have had the most injuries in the league so far this year. Is that one of the reasons they are 3-7? and seven? Well, the reason I'm organized is because all the time you spend working out, I spend organizing my life. <laughs> and uh, that explains the way that we both are. The answer to your question, though, is yes. Um, Absolutely. This has been the most banged-up team in the league. They lost Jeremiah Masoli for the year. They lost Tyree Adams for the year. They've had a bunch of other injuries. Some, I will say not all their injuries are super impactful, but obviously injuries are tough to overcome for any team, much less the team that's had the most of them. So, yes, that is certainly part of the reason they're currently near or at the bottom of the East Division standings. The Edmonton Elks have hired Rick Lawlisher as their interim president. Is that a good move for the club? I think it's a fantastic move. Obviously, the Elks need someone desperately that can provide some stability, that has some cred in the league and some experience with struggling clubs. Lawlisher obviously had great success his last time at Edmonton, but also helped turn around the BC Lions, was part of the uh, the, the search for a new owner there and ended up finding Amar Doman. He's going to be critical in trying to right the ship in Edmonton and also, I think, will be one of the people who will be perhaps toying with changing the ownership model out there going forward if they decide to explore private ownership. He's one of the very few people around the league who has experience hunting someone down. The Rough Riders' upset win over the BC Lions in Week 11 was the highest-rated CFL television broadcast of the 2023 season so far on TSN. Over 750,000 average viewers tuned in. Did tall QB Jake Dollagala attract a large audience? I mean, Riderville's been wanting to see him for quite a while now, but I think it was a combination of things here. Sunday night primetime games in the summer for the CFL have done really well and steadily ticked upwards. I think there certainly was some intrigue there with Dola Gala starting, but also partly the game, right? What generally happens in these type of games, especially the comebacks, is people start talking on social media or text or WhatsApp or whatever chats are going on. They say, hey, oh, you tuned in this game. There might be an epic comeback. So I think that was part of the reason why this number was so high. And it ended up being a great ball game that had a bunch of entertaining plays, including 
Sam Emelis's catch of the year candidate. That was unbelievable. Former St. Peter's linebacker Alex Singleton told a regional TSN reporter that Calgary's poor season is killing him. What do the Stamps have to do to turn things around? Well, they need a new quarterback. And whether that's replacing Jake Mayer or snapping Jake Mayer out of this year-long funk to have him play like the Jake Mayer of 2021 or 2022 remains to be seen. But the level of quarterbacking they're getting right now is not good enough to win games in this league. Craig Dickinson called his team's practice skirmish stupid and told his players to grow up. Was that a smart way to handle it? You know, I might have questioned his decision to use those exact words and especially say it in the media. But I guess the results speak for himself because Saskatchewan just had their biggest win of the season came up, came out fired up against the BC Lions with a third string quarterback at the helm, no less. So clearly it worked for Dickinson and his team. Keon Schaefer-Baker made three catches for 36 yards and one touchdown in the Riders' 31-26 win over BC last week. Was that a good debut for the University of Guelph product coming back from injury? It was pretty good. His first catch of the year was a touchdown. I'm sure Riders fans were expecting more, but he's always going to draw attention. I think that left Sam Emelis in some favorable situations. And to his credit, Jake Dolegala spread the wall around pretty good. So... I think the arrow's still pointing up for Schaefer Baker, and he'll have better games this season. The Edmonton Elks are offering free tickets to Sunday's game for wildfire evacuees from the Northwest Territories, with 3,000 people having registered since the prior Sunday. Is that a caring initiative? I think it's a great initiative. Commonwealth Stadium has about 2 million seats in it, and the team is never going to sell it out. So you may as well bring in people and do something for a group that obviously is going through an extremely tough time our thoughts are with all those currently affected by those wildfires over half the population of that territory has been evacuated who even knows what has happened to their homes their workplaces all those things hopefully we can get this thing sorted as soon as possible the BC Lions lost left tackle Gerald Broxton to injury as he didn't play this past week against Saskatchewan. How badly does the club need him back? Well, they need him back badly, and I, I don't think Gerald Broxton is going to be out long term. Chris Sluger was not very good as his replacement at left tackle, but the bigger issue last week was the guy on the other side of the line, and I think the team needs to promptly perform an exorcism on right tackle uh, Kent Perkins because I believe Anthony Lanier possessed his corporeal form in that performance last week. Absolutely beat him to smithereens. Four holding calls for Perkins. Countless pressures. And then, of course, the game-ending sack. He's been solid for most of the year, but that was a all-time bad performance. For Perkins last week. Canadian, Canadian QB Curtis Rourke is reportedly ready to start for Ohio University in this weekend's season opener, despite suffering a torn ACL last November. Is that great news for him and the Bobcats? It really is on both accounts a speedy recovery for Rourke. I just hope he's at complete 100% health before he steps on the field there. I think the Bobcats would want that, so I would feel confident in saying that, and I'm excited to see what he can do this season in the NCAA. Three Down Nation unveiled its list of midseason All-Stars this past week. Which player were you most pleasantly surprised to see crack the list? Before the season, if you told me that Sean Bain Jr. would not only be one of our All-Stars midseason, but the number one receiver on the list... I would have told you that you were nuttier than a bowl of almonds. So congratulations to him and the Riders for really having a breakout. And by the way, for a team that's struggling to throw the ball, don't you think the Calgary Stampeders wish that they'd held on to Sean Bain in free agency? Mm -hmm. No kidding. Last one, the Stampeders play CFL Most Outstanding Rookie Candidate and Receiver Clark Barnes on the team's six-game injured list. How big of a loss is that for the Stamps? I think it's a pretty big loss in a receiving core that has struggled a little bit, or at least their quarterback has struggled getting them the ball. But 
for me, this is a bigger hit for the player than it is for the Stampeders because Barnes has come out here as a rookie, looked like by far the best receiver in that draft class, was playing far better than Cole Tucker, the guy the Stampeders took in the first round. But the knock on him coming in was, well, he's had trouble staying healthy and he struggled a lot with an ankle injury last season, which essentially derailed his last year at Guelph. Now he's suffered an injury in his first year in the CFL. You hope it's not a trend that continues and he can stay healthy long-term going forward. That does it for this edition of the Three Down Nation podcast. If you're listening to us, check us out on YouTube. And if you're watching us, you can get us audio form on all of the biggest podcast platforms. So thanks for checking us out. We'll catch you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.